Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're continuing with the Biblical Mindset series, and we're going to get into a practical area on biblical worship. I'm really excited to dive into this topic because it's a passion point of mine. Before we dive in, I just wanted to remind you that our 2023 Set Apart Conference is filling very quickly. So if you're thinking about joining us June 16th through 18th in Colorado, I encourage you to register soon, or you can join us anywhere you are via simulcast. We've had people host simulcast in churches and in their living rooms. It's just a great way to bring the Set Apart message into the lives of the women that you know. And And if you join us for a simulcast, you'll have access to the sessions throughout the rest of this year so you can pick a time that works best for you and your group. So again, click the link in this podcast description if you'd like to join us this year or go to setapartgirl.com for more information. Our theme this year is Valiant, Becoming a Woman of Heavenly Strength, and I'm really excited for these messages and to see what God will do through this weekend. So let's dive into biblical worship. A little background on why I became passionate about this topic. Eric and I, before we began our discipleship ministry, traveled full-time and spoke in churches for about 15 years. And we were in churches in the United States and overseas as well. And we saw all kinds of different versions of worship within the church. Some were genuine. A lot were not very genuine. And through the years, I've been in a lot of worship services where I honestly couldn't really worship because I was so distracted by the person performing the songs or the lyrics of the songs or the atmosphere that the songs created and became a confusing area for me. And maybe it's been a confusing area for you too. I remember being once in a church service where they were singing as part of their worship set, you too, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. (laughs) We were thinking, what does this have to do with worshiping God at all? It sounds cool. You know, the person performing it made it sound nice, but what do these lyrics have to do with God or worshiping God? And the friend of ours said he wanted to stand up in the service and yell, hey guys, I found what I was looking for. I found it in Jesus. But he he refrained. (laughs) Just to give you an idea, oftentimes we've really come pretty far from what true biblical worship is in our services today. And just even in our understanding of worship in general in the Christian life. We've seen a lot of counterfeits out there and just looking at the Christian music industry in general, there are things there that maybe have made you confused or questioned, is this truly on track? Probably one of the most poignant scriptures on worship is when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well in John four twenty three, and he says, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. And I began to ask that question, what does it really mean to worship him in spirit and truth? Because these are the worshipers that he is looking for. I want to share with you four keys to biblical worship. As I begin to dig into the word of God, these are truths that he led me to and have really transformed my perspective on what real worship is and have helped me personally understand how to worship him and how to allow that to become a beautiful part of my relationship with him and not just be a place of confusion for me. The first attribute that I want to highlight is that true worship is humble. 
And this is one of the characteristics I think is most missing from modern church worship services and worship in general in the church today is that humility. It's really interesting, the scripture that I was just talking about where Jesus talks about the true worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. If you look at the definition of worship in that verse, it's extremely interesting. It's this picture of incredible humility and adoration. It means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand, to fawn or to crouch to, to prostrate oneself, to adore, to reverence. And it's the same principle of Psalm 123 too. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. And true worship means we are completely caught up in awe, in adoration, in admiration for him. And there is no room for fleshly pride and arrogance in that kind of heart of true worship. In the church today, we tend to glorify and esteem people who have musical talents and lead worship in a kind of showy and flashy way. But we need to remember that human talent is only valuable as far as it brings glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, human talent is only going to get in the way of people seeing him. And actually, talent is not the most important criteria for a true worshiper. It's great when someone who leads worship is musically talented, but that is not what God esteems above everything else is talent. It's actually humility, the ability to truly get out of the way so that he can be seen. I remember being at a a large Christian festival with Eric a number of years ago, and the entire purpose of this festival was a Christian gathering for worship, to lift up the name of Jesus. But what took place on the stage was anything but worshipful. I remember one band of teenage boys, they were a Christian band, and they were really performing. They weren't worshiping. They were performing on stage, and the girls, there were probably several thousand girls in the first few rows of this festival, and they were so enamored with these guys. They were not worshiping God as the songs were playing. They were worshiping these guys. And I remember the guys taking towels. It was during the day, so it was really hot. And they would wipe their sweaty faces and throw the towels to the audience. And the girls would fight over the towels. And it was just really the opposite of of worshiping God. It was all about celebrity and worshiping people. I've been at worship events where the bands who play are so arrogant, and even the way that they act afterwards, it's they really have the celebrity vibe. I've seen bands, worship bands, like signing their 8x10 glossies with their sunglasses on after a worship concert. And it's very easy for someone who's musically talented to fall into that trap of drawing attention to himself versus Christ. If you look at the album covers of a lot of Christian worship artists today, you'll see oftentimes people who are really going out of their way to try to draw attention to themselves and make themselves really hip and trendy and impressive and cool. And you don't think a lot about Jesus Christ. You think a lot about what that person's look is and what their style is and what their attitude is. But self-glorifying worship is really dangerous because it steals the glory that belongs to God alone. And that's the trap that Lucifer fell into. He was created to worship God and to lead others into worshiping God, but he wanted glory for himself. It says in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. 
And this is a prime example of the wrong kind of shining. And Lucifer's name actually means light bearer. And yet he was the wrong kind of light bearer. He was trying to shine his own light to this world instead of pointing eyes to the light of God. And that is a trap we need to be careful not to fall into or to take the bait that is all around us in Christianity today, where we begin to worship the creation and not the creator. Herod is another good example of this in Acts 12, where he was stealing the glory that belonged to God. It said that he came before the people in royal apparel, and he sat on his throne, and he gave an oration to them, and the people kept shouting, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died, which is a very unpleasant picture there. But it's not something to be taken lightly. We need to remember who we are in light of who God is and walk in that absolute humility that comes from recognizing that we have nothing, we are nothing outside of him. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to bring to shame the strong. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. All of those bells and whistles and acting really cool on stage and the smoke and the lights and the really cool album covers, that is foolishness before God because it's the wisdom of this world. It's human wisdom. It's human accolades. It's not that humility of just lifting high the name of Jesus. When you look at pictures in the Psalms of what it means to worship. You see Psalm 96, 5, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Psalm 99, 5, exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his footstool. And then look at the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair in that place of total humility. Such a beautiful picture of true worship. If you find yourself thinking about you when you're in worship, whether you sound okay or look okay to other people, I would encourage you to focus on humbling yourself before God and focusing fully and completely on his holiness, his majesty, his worthiness, his faithfulness, because just a glimpse of who he really is causes us to bow down in wonder and in awe. Even if we don't bow physically, inwardly, our heart becomes prostrate before him in absolute humility and reverence. Now, what if the person leading worship isn't walking in that kind of humility? Sometimes I find myself in these situations where I'm in a worship gathering and the person leading is very showy. Sometimes it's impossible for me to really worship in those situations because like the outdoor concert that I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, the glory of the Lord has departed because it's all about a person's glory. But sometimes I am able to tune out the show that's happening in front of me and just really tune into him and dwell on who he is. So I encourage you to just ask for wisdom in the moment, in those situations, whether you should just pull back and go worship him privately, or if you're able to really just tune out maybe the fleshly attitudes you're seeing around you and focus just on him. He'll give you wisdom and discernment for each situation. Another attribute of true biblical worship is that it is not defined by emotion, but by 
decision. We often make the mistake of thinking that a big emotional display is what defines whether the presence of God is really at a Christian gathering or whether the worship is really filled with God's presence or not. And there is certainly a biblical premise for having spiritual fervor and passion and not being apathetic or indifferent when we're focusing on Christ. But emotion is not what defines true worship. And this is really important because oftentimes we think that if we don't feel a big rush when we're worshiping, it means that we haven't really worshiped God. But worship is first and foremost a decision of the will. It's a command to our soul to agree with God's reality and focus on who he is. It doesn't mean we're always going to feel a big rush of emotion, but if we are grabbing onto his truth and we're declaring to our soul, he is worthy of my entire life. His truth is what defines my reality. I choose to praise him even when I'm struggling or going through something difficult. It doesn't matter what our emotions say. When our will is submitted to his, our heart, our mind, and our spirit are agreeing with his truth, our emotions will come into alignment with that. But that's not often where it starts. It usually starts with that decision of will to say, Lord, you are worthy. You are holy. You are faithful. I choose to agree with your reality. And it's important to keep in mind that not everyone has an emotionally expressive personality. Some people are a lot more reserved and they don't express emotion outwardly. That does not mean they're not truly worshiping in the quietness of their hearts and the privacy of their inner communion with God, they can be bowing before him and reverencing who he is. It doesn't have to look like a big outward display. Some people are very emotional and they're swaying and crying and really expressing. And it's really easy to look at those people as more spiritual, but one is actually not more spiritual than the other because true worship is a condition of the heart. Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? And that is what really matters. Darlene Dibler has an amazing story, and it's really the key pivotal moment in her book, Evidence Not Seen. She was in solitary confinement and everything seemed dark. The Lord seemed to have forsaken her. She had always been in this place of solitary confinement. She had diseases. Her husband had died. She was on death row. She knew she might lose her life. But the presence of the Lord was was her comfort in that place. But this one day, she didn't feel a noticeable sense of his presence. And she began to search the scriptures and search her heart to see if she had offended him or if she had hidden sin. And she began to stand on the promises of God, even though she didn't feel his presence or a rush of emotion, she made a statement to God that day. And she said, Lord, I believe all that the Bible says. I walk by faith and not by sight. I do not need to feel you near because your word says that you will never leave me nor forsake me. I confirm my faith. I believe. And then as she prayed that prayer, the verse that came to her mind was from Hebrews, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. She realized that her faith was not in feelings or moments of ecstasy, but in Jesus Christ himself, who was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even when she did not feel his presence, he was just as faithful as when she did feel his presence. And she decided to put her trust in him no matter what. She would follow him anywhere, no matter the cost, even if she didn't feel it. And that is often the way we need to approach worship. Lord, I choose to agree with who you are, who your word says you are, and lift your name up even if I don't feel a big rush of emotion. And then there will be times when we feel overwhelmed with just gratitude and awe and emotion will come. But true worship starts with the decision of the will of the heart, mind, and soul to say, Lord, I worship you. You are worthy of my everything right now. 
even if I'm not feeling a bunch of emotional rush. And that can be really encouraging for those of us who sort of feel like, oh, everyone around me seems like they're really worshiping and I'm not feeling anything. That's really not where our focus should be. Put your focus on who he is. Command your soul to agree with his reality. And soon the emotion will be there when you need it. Another attribute of true worship is that true worship lifts up Jesus. It's not all about self. And this is very similar to what we talked about earlier of that need for humility. As a reminder, the definition in that verse of the true worshipers is that they worship in a way that means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand, to fawn, to crouch, to prostrate oneself, to pay reverence, to adore. Worship is not about us or our feelings or our thoughts or our ideas. It's all about him. Like Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And when you read through the Psalms, those worshipful, beautiful expressions, it is all about him. It's not about us and our thoughts and our feelings and our preferences and our desires and how we're doing. It's all about him. And I have found so many times when I'm in a worship service where all the songs are about me, 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 and how I'm thinking and how I'm feeling, I'm not able to really enter into worship because I'm just focused on myself. So I really try to be aware of lyrics or worship atmospheres that make worship all about me rather than all about him. And this is true even in private times of worship as well. If we come into the presence of God and we are seeking to worship him, of course, it's not wrong to tell him our intimate personal struggles and to cast our cares upon him. But it's also so important to worship him and just tune out ourselves and focus on him. And I've found so many times in my own life that when I'm struggling with something or I'm down about something and I really want to dwell on my feelings, but I choose to focus on him instead, my spirit lifts and I have clear heavenly perspective for whatever I'm going through. A lot of times we don't really need to dwell on ourselves or our feelings, but when we dwell on him, our feelings, our perspective, everything comes into alignment with his truth. And it's very healing and very restoring, even when we're not focusing on ourselves. So keep that in mind that true worship is lifting up Jesus, not just focusing inwardly on self. Another key attribute of worship is that it brings the atmosphere of heaven. That peaceful, joyful sense of the presence of God is created by true worship. I remember being at a large women's conference as a speaker a number of years ago, and the moment I walked in the building, the worship was so obnoxiously loud that you had to scream basically to have the person next to you even hear what you were saying. It was so loud that the workers at the book tables and such had to wear earplugs just to be able to function. The whole atmosphere of that conference was very agitated, very frenzied. You just felt like you were at this rock concert. It really didn't bring the soul level peace and joy that comes from really worshiping and lifting high the name of Jesus and welcoming his presence. You know, it says in the Psalms that in his presence is the fullness of joy. It says that we will be kept in perfect peace when we fixed our minds on him. And there are so many instances in scripture that when we are focused on him, there is joy, there is peace, there is just that beautiful calm. And it's not just like this crazy agitated environment. Now, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with loudly praising God. There's verses in the Psalms about lifting your voice to him and all these things, but we really shouldn't be defining worship as just like the more noise, the better. (laughs) I love the story from Elijah when he was seeking to hear the voice of God, and God gave him all of these possibilities that God could speak to him through a great and strong wind that tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came 
a still small voice. And that is where he heard the voice of God was in that still small voice. So again, there's nothing wrong with lifting your voice and loudly expressing worship and praise to God, but don't confuse volume and noise and drama and a big noise with the presence of God, because true worship brings that tender, sweet, beautiful, peaceful presence of heaven with it. And lastly, true worship is a lifestyle. It's not just singing songs or going to a gathering and worshiping with other believers. Whatever we express to God in a worship time or a worship service needs to be an outflow of a lifestyle of surrender and reverence and availability to our God. As Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is so much more than singing in a corporate gathering. To cultivate the heart of biblical worship, we first have to cultivate a lifestyle of surrender, of making ourselves fully available to be a living sacrifice for the one who sacrificed everything for us, to walk in the light, enabled by his grace, to make ourselves fully available to him. If you struggle to truly enter into worship in church or in your quiet times, I encourage you to take some time to let God gently direct your daily life. Are there steps of obedience that you need to take? Are there sacrifices he's asking you to make and maybe you've been hesitating? Are there unhealthy habits that may need to be purged from your life? Are there areas that need to be more deeply surrendered to him? When you allow him to walk through that process with you of just shining the searchlight into your soul and gently purging things that need to be made right and directing your daily steps, you will be so much more equipped to worship him because there's not that barrier of hesitation or disobedience or lack of availability that's standing in the way. The bottom line is this, worshiping our king is a gift and a privilege. It should never be a duty or an obligation, and it should never distract us from who he really is. Revelation 4.11 gives us a little glimpse into the kind of worship that is going to take place around his throne for all of eternity. It talks about the four living creatures, and day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they were created and have their being. And that is a glorious picture of beautiful, reverent worship that God can cultivate in our hearts starting today. Let's get back to worshiping him in spirit and in truth by simply offering ourselves to him, holding nothing back. And that is the attitude from which true worship can flow. He is worthy. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into building a Christ-centered life, and looking at the practical areas of set-apart living, I encourage you to visit us at setapartgirl.com and see the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.